lights down Hand over my crown Hand over my heart I do this for my town I do this for my crowd So turn me up real loud My time, my time None of you people can tell me to stop Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged David, you promised us last week that by now the Suns will be 2-0 Did I say that? I promised that. I think you said it at the end. You said it at the well, end. Well, you know, if Chris Paul did not hurt his shoulder, oh, no, I actually fun. think. Well, what if? Um, no, but in, in all seriousness, I mean, Suns won the first game, and then the second game basically came down to the wire. And you know, you and I were watching it together, and it was like in the final few minutes of the game, it was a tie game. And then in the last couple of minutes, basically the Lakers hit a couple of shots, and then it was over. And it's like. That that final three four minutes when it's a tie game is exactly why you have Chris Paul because that's what he's the master at is to mm -hmm. basically control the game and win those clutch scenarios and having him on the bench with a fucked up shoulder sucks you know especially I mean when you're paying him uh, forty million a year or whatever his contract is yeah say that to Houston and we do this all year. Isn't that a history with him? I mean, it happened it, in history. It is. And in this case, it's a stupid injury because it's not something that is like, like if it was a knee or an ankle, that's like a recurring thing for him, it'd be different. But in this case, it was just like on the on one of the plays, like his shoulder got extended. Why Why does that something like that happen to LeBron or AD? Or well, those it does. I mean, those guys missed a lot of games this year too. But Yeah, but... You know. Anyways, the series tied 1-1. Um, it's been very even so far. The Suns controlled game one. The Lakers controlled a little more game two. It still came, It was still tied with like three minutes to go. Uh, yeah. Um, but so, so my question is, and I watched with you actually both games. The first one was like clearly the Suns were in control. Like you said, they were. I, I never actually thought it with the first game that the Suns will end up winning it. I was kind of questioning in the fourth quarter the, the Lakers will crank it up, which they tried, but they couldn't do it by then. And Booker was in a roll and stuff. But the second game was more like the Lakers came saying, okay, we're going to control this game. And they were always ahead, like five, six, seven points, just keeping, keeping, you know, keeping the lead until the very end that the Suns actually, uh, I think they recovered really like a few minutes to go. But I, during the second game, I kind of had that uh, feeling that the Lakers will just figure out a way to close it, you know, especially like you said, that, that uh, CP was, was basically on the bench. So, but the, again, the question is game three, I think is tonight, right? Yeah. And uh, this is today's Thursday here. By the yeah. time people listen to this, they already know the result. Right. We'll know the result. Yeah. Uh, because this goes later. But anyways, uh, between you and I then... Um, Tonight, you know, are the Suns the team that we saw in Game One, or are the Lakers less, or are the Lakers more the team that we saw in Game Two that they say, okay, now we need to get this series and close as soon as possible because we don't want to get the too Sun, tired. I mean, obviously, I don't know what the status of Chris Paul is, um, and to me, honestly, the thing in the fourth quarter that I was disappointed by was in Game One, Devin Booker really took over, and in the second game, it seemed like he was. Because this is the thing with Booker that he used to be like the man always and yeah. always doing everything. And obviously that doesn't work because if your team sucks, you can be the man, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes he's almost too passive where it's like, dude, 
because you saw it in game one. It's like they had no answer. They were double teaming him. Didn't matter. He was torching them. Yeah. And in game two, he didn't quite go there. Uh, I think especially if Chris Paul is going to be hurt, I mean, it's, Booker's going to have to put the team on his shoulders. That's really what's going to have to happen. So we'll see what happens in game but three. But is he enough? I mean, Lakers have so many big guys. I mean, they have like three guys, four guys that are like almost seven Yeah, shooters. but offensively, if you remember... In, in game one. I mean, it was a little bit in game two, but, but in game one, I mean, they were double teaming Booker and didn't matter. Because first of all, Booker's an excellent passer. So if you double team him, he's going to find the open man. And second of all, a lot of times, it didn't matter anyways. Like he was still scoring. Right. But the other guys, when, when he's double teamed, the other guys need to make the shots. The of other course. Guys Obviously, yeah. Them. I mean, basketball, a lot of times, is just, right. do you hit your shots? And uh, yeah, if you don't make your shots, then you lose. I don't care what game plan you have. But... Anyways, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think either way, this is going to be a long series. I don't think this is going to be over soon. I mean, right now, it's no big deal. I mean, the Suns, I think the Suns will, will win one in LA, which basically brings everything back to even. And then I, I'm the, pretty sure this the will one be the who, best of three. The team who's in DEFCON 5 or whatever it is now yeah. is, the, is the Clippers. Yeah, yeah. The Clippers lost are. both home games. Yeah. So now they got to go back to Dallas. Can, can you imagine can if the, uh, Steve Ballmer? Let me. What happens if the Clippers get swept in the first round? That, that would be a Steve that would Ballmer's be like a, a fucking major failure disaster between between buying the team, getting but all the these thing, free agents, the thing and then that's crazy. like now two billion dollars in a new arena. The thing that's crazy it's it's not like the Clippers played bad. Kawhi had like forty something points in game two, and and. Uh, Paul George had, I think, they 28. Just Luka. So, I mean, they weren't, it's not like they were like last year against Denver when like Kawhi and Paul George totally didn't show up for game seven. No, I mean, they combined for like 70 points and they still lost. They're in trouble. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, unless Dallas has a major collapse, I don't, I don't know if the Clippers are going to win four out of five. Right. Now they have to win four out of five. Yeah. Which, on, on. and realistically, say, okay, they go to Dallas and they split them. They're gonna be down three one, and um, they are against now the they cannot lose. Basically, they're gonna yeah. have to win three in a row. Yeah, right. No, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the statistics are for games of uh, uh, teams coming back from. Uh, it's very rare. Down two games in the first round. I mean, there's been some, but teams down two zero. Uh, in almost, the best of seven, there's I probably mean, more. Back in the days, best of five, it will happen. But um, I forget the number, but it's. I think it's. Around ninety-ish percent. Yeah, if you obviously. go down two all, you lose. Especially down two all away. Yeah. I mean, you you lost your two home games, so that's that's more critical. Even though I'm not sure how many people will be in Dallas, I'm assuming there will be a lot of people on the court. That's that's the other thing that we noticed. There's a big difference between the amount of people inside the yeah, arena. Yeah, it's it's, it's the teams. Like, it's California because even uh, like I was watching the Knicks Hawks yesterday. Yeah, and MSG was packed. I don't know what capacity it was, but. It looked full. The Suns were pretty full. The Suns had 10,600. What um, is that? Percentage? 50%? Or? A little under 50. It looked like more. But than I that. think it's that they have the upper bowl more empty. The lower bowl is pretty full. 
Either way, there was no distancing. I mean, I, I don't understand the, the, the point of having 10,000 people that were like yeah, all together, know. you know, because the, the hash shots were, it was like a normal season. I think game. they said Dallas is going to have 15,000 people. So. Yeah, they already have people doing the football games and all that stuff back in October, November, yeah. December. So, so. Uh, and then you go to LA and you see all these fake people. In but I, I will say it's such a difference with fans. Yeah, of I course. Mean, the, the players will tell you they feed off of that. Yeah. It's such a, but even just watching it on TV. Yeah. It's especially like, you know, watching the Suns games. It's like in the fourth quarter, because I've been watching the, all year. And at the beginning of the season, obviously, we didn't have fans and all that. The difference between that and now, like fourth quarter of a playoff game, how loud it is in there, mm -hmm. it, it comes through the TV. Yeah. You know? And you cannot emulate that with the sound effects no, and all no, that stuff. No. Um, which, you know, we'll see. I mean, the, the Suns play in LA now, and, and obviously, it's at the same arena as the, as the Clippers. So. I'm assuming there will be the same status as far as cut out people, yeah. you know, like fake people or whatever. Uh, all right. Well, hopefully they'll um, they'll win one. We'll see how they show up tonight. But yeah, Chris Paul is going to be critical. And I'm kind of, I don't know. I mean, he said, absolutely, I'm playing game two. Yeah, yeah, you started and played a few minutes, and then you just went back to the bench. Well, he uh, it was actually Monty Williams, the coach. Yeah. The reason he didn't play in the fourth quarter after, like, well, he came in for like two minutes. Yeah. And then he didn't play the rest of the fourth was Monty benched him. Monty said that after the game, he said, I forget his exact quote, but he said, I couldn't bear watching yeah. Chris play well, like that. you can see that he's not. he was he's just playing, playing hurt. And he said, listen, man, I can't have you playing like this. Right. He's playing one-handed. And once you see that he's being treated with all these eyes and all I almost, stuff. honestly, if it's what it takes, if he needs to miss game three, I don't know what the status is. I haven't seen anything yet. But if he needs to miss game three to rest it and just get full rest and then come back game four... I would do it. Players are tough, man. You're playing every other night. You're playing I know, high it's intensity. Tough. It's a seven-game series, and if you get hurt, if it's... Because, it, I mean, this type of injury where it's not that major, where it's probably like a week or two, but that's the series, is a week or two. Right. You but know? you don't have time to, to be injured. That's it. You know. So. so. All right. Well, let's switch topics. Um, I wanted to... Um, last week, um, we've been talking about... Last week was a big week for uh, crypto, and, and we discussed basically the crash and all that stuff, which... Interestingly, I've listened to a lot of different other um, uh, news and podcasts and things like that, and they actually ended up saying exactly what we have said, not to take credit or anything, but they said it's not China, it's not any of these bad news or whatever, it's just people trying to basically try needing to leverage their own uh, positions and uh, uh, you know, trying to cover their their margin costs, basically. They were over-leveraged and they had to sell. And, and a lot of people are actually... Um, doing a lot of um, extreme uh, purchases and extreme, um, I don't know how you say it, like uh, people are using People are using professional trading products right. as individuals. Well, uh, well, but there's people that are even 100 to 1. Right. And these are, I mean, first of all, 100 to 1 is extreme. I don't even, I don't care if you're a hedge fund. I don't care who you are. 100 to 1 is extreme. 100 to 1 is what people use to trade like treasuries right. that basically move 0.1%, you know? Right. 100 to 1, but even forget 100 to 1, 10 to 1. 10 to 1 on volatile assets that, yeah, any given day can move 10%, like nothing, is, is you're asking to get liquidated, basically. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Well, yeah, I mean, it, this is, like you said, I mean, it's, it's, it's risky when one is a 
normal moving market, but when you do it with crypto that is extremely volatile per se, and then you go 100 to 1, all of a sudden you find yourself like you are 100 to 1 on the negative side and you need to cover your position, and then it's just impossible. I mean, it just causes a lot of, uh, you know, massive sell-ups, and then and that actually is like a snowball effect because the more you sell, then the more the, the, the tokens in this case go down, which means that you need to sell more because you your leverage position is even more on a margin side. And uh, so anyways, we, we discussed that and that's basically what's, what's been going on. But a week after, like today, and actually in the last two or three days, it, it seems like for now, at least that is more stabilized. I mean, Bitcoin is back to hovering around the thirty-nine dollars to $40,000 range. And then um, Ethereum or Ether, the, the token is back into the 26, 2700. I actually think Ethereum, the network, and Ether, the token has much more to go up. Um, uh, if I were to bet on which one is going to go higher percentage wise, I'll say Ether has much, much more of an option to grow in the future just because uh, there's a lot of things coming down the pipe that are going to make the. Uh, the uh, 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 the network or the platform much more uh, solid and strong. Um, so, but it's it's coming back to normal. But the other thing you and I were talking, I think it was yesterday actually, about uh, because of the podcast maybe or because it's in the news everywhere, I'm getting a lot of comments and questions some even friends some people that I talk to about, uh, you know, crypto in general. And I, I, I realize that a lot of people don't know much about it or don't know anything about it. They are completely intimidated. And um, so it's like one of those things where a lot of people just kind of give up on it just because they don't um, they don't know what it is and they they kind of find like a big wall to climb just to get into it. Is that something that you you feel yourself? Yeah, I mean, there's a learning curve. Obviously, anybody who has dabbled in DeFi knows that. What, especially when you first start, it can be very overwhelming. And it depends how advanced you want to get. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's still, it's getting easier. It's definitely easier than it used to be. But, yeah, I mean, it's just very new. And but it's, so, it's, I think it's getting easier for those who are already initiated into the world of crypto. But it's not easier for the person that is just saying, okay, I'm going to get into this. Well, no, I do think it is easier. I mean... Um, like there's things like uh, Dharma and Zapper and different tools that are launching uh, that basically make it much easier. Those When those things didn't exist, it was harder to uh, track and do a lot of things. Um, now, it depends how advanced you want to get. The, where To me, where it's still complicated is when I start dealing with uh, like b trying to bridge between different blockchains and, and do different things. That's where it still gets a little complicated. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think to like, for example, like a basic thing, like just uh, 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 putting your money into like an Aave lending pool or compound or whatever. I think that's not too complicated now. I mean, it's a, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but I think it's not that complicated. All right, well, let's go through that example that you just mentioned. To, to, to be able to put money into a lending pool like that, normally you need to obviously have money into your bank account that you like savings or something, and you say, okay, this money that I have in my savings account is now giving me zero interest pretty much, so it's just parked there. 
and normally it's losing value due to inflation, which is like the hidden tax that we call. So then you say, okay, I'm going to get into uh, maybe some kind of safe investment within the uh, crypto world and move this. So they need to uh, connect any exchange with with your bank account, whether it's you know Coinbase, Binance, Gemini, whatever you want, and then uh, move money to the exchange. And then from there, you need to move money to sometimes to a wallet um, and then connect your wallet with Aave or something and then move the money there. So that's like three, four steps you need to do uh, with gas fees in between all that stuff. That, uh, and then you need to decide which token you want to invest. You put, go to Aave, I, you have a lot of different um, you know, uh, yield percentages that are for different tokens and some of them some of them give you a high yield because obviously it's higher risk. Some others with more stable coins give you a, uh, a lower yield because it's low risk, just the same as everything else. So, But do you think the average person is going to be able to do that when they're actually not seeing their money tangible from here to there? I mean, do you think, don't you think that there's like an intimidating factor as far as where is my money now? I put in this. Finally, I got all these hurdles. I put That's why this. I would recommend if you've never done it. I haven't. I don't use Dharma because I already am in the ecosystem before Dharma launched. But Dharma is pretty straightforward. I mean, Dharma lets you just uh, basically connect your bank account, and then they'll do everything for you. Um, and then you can just put your money in Ave and or Compound or whatever you want to do, and it's pretty easy. But even without that, I mean, yeah, like I said, there is a learning curve, but uh, you know, people should learn. I mean, that's 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 the thing. It's no different than back in the day with early days of the internet. It's like, yeah, people didn't know how to use email or how to browse the web or do things like that, but people learn. But but one of the things that you and I were comparing the other day talking is just, you know, when the internet came around as far as, uh, you know, the internet is like a, is like a vague world. But uh, just, just when you started back in the, let's say, Let's say nice, just for now. We obviously started before, but let's say nice when you start with the American Online and AOL and the email addresses, and then you have a little website, and then you start developing. You know, you start talking. You know, getting email addresses and blah 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 and all that stuff. And then there's a dot com in the early two thousands. I mean, things were moving. What we thought it was fast back then, but compared to now, it's like very slow. I mean, people had a chance to kind of go into the into that and even people that didn't buy into the internet like i remember because i was in the business already in the industry and people that we said hey you need a website to promote your business and they said no i'm okay i have all these printed brochures and all that stuff and then some other companies were just creating a printed brochure online which became a website and videos became streaming videos and everything was kind of progressing that way but if you were behind by a year or two or whatever you could always catch up. You say, you know what? Now I think I need a website. And then you just create a website and then you're back up. I mean, you weren't too far behind in the race, if you will, you know. And obviously for them, it has evolved a lot into e-commerce and banking and everything else. But people understand it is like a slow growth. Um, with crypto, which is moving so fast, I think people that don't jump on it like now, if they want to even learn a little bit, they're going to be so far behind that it's going to be a wall very difficult to climb unless they rely on third-party people uh third-party uh custodians or third-party or you know like the other thing we're saying is that they're very wealthy people and we've seen comments from very wealthy and successful investors like the warren buffett's and charlie munger and, and even ray dalio now he's getting into crypto and carl icon and other investors that they don't like crypto and now they're kind of turning around saying even 
you know, CEOs like Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan Chase saying, yeah, well, you know, there's a value. We're going to start investing into it. We're going to invest significantly, a good amount. I mean, they use these, these words to say how much they want to put into it because after years they realize, yeah, you know what? This is an asset class that we need to look into. By the way, I was going to say, if you don't think that Icon already owns oh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, he wouldn't say it if he didn't own it. Right. He would only say, like, when he says we're looking at it, no, he already owns it. Those guys He may always, be adding to his position, right. but he definitely already owns it. Those guys act first, and then yes. it's, it's almost like... A, I so mean, when he comes out and pump says that... Dump, I don't think he's going to dump it, but he's pumping it. When he and says when you that, pump it, it's because you already have it. When he says that he's interested in Ethereum, yeah. that means he owns Ethereum. Right. Exactly. He's not going to do it after. He's not going to say, I'm interested in Ethereum and then wait for Ethereum to go up like right. 10, 15% and then buy it. No, he's saying it because he already bought it and then he's waiting for the market to act on it based on the fact that he's giving his seal of approval. And that happens everywhere. But that's the point that, and, and honestly, I don't know how much these guys know or don't know about crypto. My feeling is that they don't know shit or they know very little, they know the headlines, but they are the ones that are capable of hiring very smart people that know how to manipulate, how to- I think a guy like Icon is pretty smart. He doesn't maybe understand the technical side, but he does understand finance. Right. Yeah, so exactly. He can, he, he, I wouldn't underestimate these guys. These no, guys no, are no, smart, they're where they are for all. a reason. I mean, there's, but to me, a person that is smart enough to realize, hey, you know what? I had a position about this or whatever it is in life, and now that I have more knowledge, I'm changing my mind, I'm changing my, that's, that's the, the first sign of being smart, saying I'm not gonna stick to my guns just because of principle or whatever, right. I'm just going based on facts. So now, I also understand that you don't need to know everything about everything, you just need to surround yourself with people that know, and that's basically the, the way business is. But, but that's the thing with those, like, famous or wealthy investors are able to do that, but the average Joe is not. And they have a steep learning curve to know if you have a friend on the street and we all have friends that are like very smart in their businesses, but then it's like, hey, I don't know how to get into this or what do I do? I know nothing about this. I hear all these headlines, but it's like, it's like a, I don't know, you know? And I don't think they have the time to even go at night and start researching on their own about what to do. There's so much information out there and so confusing. And, and by the time you see the information online, it's already late. Um, so I, I think it's... Yeah, but you know what? When the internet happened, lots of people missed the boat and new people came on the boat, so to speak. And so it's like everything there's always going to be new shit coming and there's always going to be innovation and you either adapt or you get left behind and it's going to be the same with DeFi. so people can ignore it and that's fine and you know you can probably ignore DeFi for another couple of years and be fine right because it's still very small relatively but yeah it's like you could ignore the internet in 1992 in 1995 less so 98 even less 2008, if you're still ignoring the internet, you're done. And now it's like you can't live without the internet, right? Our whole world runs on the internet. So it'll be the same with DeFi, basically, uh, and, and crypto in general. It's mm -hmm. just, of course, there's people who still use flip phones and uh, don't use social media or whatever. That's fine. They can do whatever they want. But they're also not going to make money online either. You know, they're also going to be at a disadvantage in a lot of ways, too. There's there's two sides of this. There's the when you say get left behind, there's the 
uh, money chasing the riches side, which is like, yeah, in the same way that if you get in early on a, on tech stocks versus, or if you get in early on DeFi, you can make a lot of money over the next few years, probably that boat. Yes. That ship will sail at some point, right? The, there's only hundred and thousand X returns available for so long, right? The, the thousand X returns turn into hundred X, the hundred X turn into 10 X and so on and so forth. Um, but that doesn't mean that the mass adoption won't still be there, right? Like the, the truth is you say the average Joe, the average Joe, if we're talking like literal average, like American, whoever, it's going to be very similar to the internet, right? In the beginning, they probably didn't use it. It was too complicated to whatever, but guess what? Everybody's on the internet now. And it, why? Cause it got easier because it, it got the, the user experience got much better. It got much simpler. Uh, the technology well, I got mean, I, better. I do think that a lot of people, like you said, the average Joe in that case, don't even know how the stock market works. I mean, but they all have retirement accounts and then they have... Right. I mean, first of all, people whatever. don't understand how the internet works, right? I mean, people know what the internet does, but if you ask them the technicals of how does the internet works, can you tell me about the different protocols, how this server talks to that? People have no idea, right. but you don't need to to use the internet, right? That's the beautiful thing. And right now we have so much debate in the crypto world, especially within Ethereum and DeFi about EIP 1559 and sharding and the L2 solutions and side chains and all these things. And that's great, right? All that stuff needs to be done on the technical side. But the truth is that in a decade, nobody will talk about that and nobody will even, other than the, the actual developers, it won't matter right like you don't need to know anything about any people right like like you don't need to understand what tcip is or http or any of these things to use the internet but you use them every day i agree with that but the difference is that if i don't understand how the internet works and basically i go to a website and it's not loading or it's not there or whatever it's just like an inconvenience but it's it's not affecting my life when you're dealing with people's money. That's a touchy point. So that's why right, but that's the frictionless why environment needs to be uh, needs to be there, you know. And I think obviously we're in the we'll very early stages. Uh, right, we'll get there exactly. So so it's like go look at <clears throat> websites and computers in the '90s and compare them to now. It's not even well. It's like it's like we're saying a lot of people didn't trust. Um, e-commerce, like right. they were browsed and everything, but the moment to pay when they had to put their credit card online or with all the things and then the scams and all the stuff, they were like, mm, no, I'm just going to go to the store. I'm just going to do this. And then until they didn't have a chance to like the pandemic actually reinforce that when people didn't have a chance, but to actually buy online. And then right. and, a lot and, of people realize, oh, wow, this actually works. I buy online and I have the stuff in my house two, three days later. And Amazon's a great example of this because Amazon had that problem people didn't want to buy shit online uh but what did amazon do they went after a specific market books where actually buying it online is much better why because you go to a bookstore and they have a certain selection but a lot of times they don't have the book you want and there's there's a it's a it's a, it happened to be a category where there's literally millions of SKUs, so there's no way a, a single store 
could carry it. But online, you could carry millions of books, right? And so they took advantage of that. And then they used that as the Trojan horse to get people used to buying things online and expand it further. And the same is going to be true for DeFi. Right now, we're doing things in DeFi that basically are the, the low-hanging fruit. But as we expand, people will earn more trust or or. I should say DeFi will earn the trust of people and things will get better and, and the, the user experience will become better as well. Right, and, and it's funny to mention that because I remember when the famous um, the, the internet banks started coming around that were offering higher savings rates at the standard brick and mortar bank. Like you go to Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo, they say, okay, well, our interest rates, uh, you know, money market account, whatever kind of savings was like 1.5, 2%, you know, back in the better days. And then you have the ING Direct, or you have Capital One, or you have Synchrony and all these other online banks that will give you a higher interest rate just because they could. They don't have the overhead um, from the normal banks, but at the same time, you couldn't just walk into that bank and say, I need to withdraw this money. You had to do everything online. You had to transfer money from your normal bank to them and then wait two days and uh, for the money to be available and all the stuff. So it's a little bit of a, of a delay, but in the beginning, people were like, well, I'm not sure if I want to transfer my money to this place that I cannot walk to talk to a person, you know? And then people became more comfortable with that, and then they, they are very successful. There's lots of them that are around. So I think it'll, it might be the case also with with DeFi. Right. The big, the big uh, draw that DeFi has right now is, hey, banks give you no interest, and right now you can get 10, 15% interest on lots of platforms right that's a huge difference uh, I mean 10% is what people try to get on the stock market and you can get that just putting a stable coin in a lending pool you right know? And, and the other thing I think is like we're talking bigger e-commerce giants like the you know let's say Amazon or, or Walmart or whatever what do you think it'll take for them to start accepting crypto as far as a form of payment. And I'm not saying, I mean, everybody says, okay, that PayPal was accepting uh, or, or uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or Ether or something. But those are coins that or tokens that people will not want to use. Like, I don't know if anybody is gonna pay something with Bitcoin because you pay something with Bitcoin today and yeah, it's the famous pizza that you pay. What was the famous price for the pizza that you pay like uh, $10 or something or 10 bitcoins or... Oh, it was like 10,000, I think. 10,000 bitcoins. Yeah, that yeah. was the anniversary, actually. Wasn't it like uh, yeah, like uh, last week or two weeks ago or something? Yeah, you pay 10,000 bitcoins for a pizza, which today will be like a billion dollar pizza or whatever, you know. Exactly. So for that reason, I don't think people that are saving or buying bitcoin are gonna use it for daily transactions in addition to all the other fees and everything that we discussed. But stable coins like USDC or DAI or any of the many ones, Tether or whatever, um, they can be used. And if you have money saved in a stable coin in a DeFi account that is producing, like you said, 10% interest or variable or whatever, and you put a thousand bucks and then at the end of the year you have a, you know, you have a hundred, you know. I don't know why major e-commerce platforms don't say, okay, they have Apple Pay, they have this, they have that. They could say, we take um, stable coins and then you can just pay with that. I think they will. I think I think that will be the thing that will make mainstream people start using or thinking into maybe 
getting into crypto and saying, you know what, if I have all this money parked over here in traditional fiat money, I'm going to put this thing into DeFi with, um, you know, uh, tokens that are giving me a higher interest rate because of the way they operate. And then I can use it to buy things at the same time. I think stables are going to be an on-ramp for a lot of people because, uh, A, um, like you said, you can just get higher yields on your cash and there's no uh, risk as far as the volatility of the asset, right? So if you own a stable coin, like the problem with Ethereum or Bitcoin or any of these is obviously they go up and down a lot in value. A stable coin is a stable coin. Um, and so that's number one, that you can get yield without the uh, volatility risk. There's other risks, but you don't have the volatility risk. Uh, two, once you move your money into stable coins, man, transacting with stable coins is so much better than transacting with dollars. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can move money instantly anywhere, cross chains. I mean, it's so great. Um, and I think that once the, like you said, the average person starts understanding stable coins a little more and i think especially businesses once mm -hmm. they realize this and in fact there are use I, th I think i might have mentioned this on the podcast before maybe not but i think it was uh malaysia and thailand had some type i think it was malaysia and thailand um had some type of um trade dispute where the governments basically shut down trade for certain things um yeah yeah and I so they couldn't basically transact with each other and basically businesses in 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 Malaysia and Thailand started using stable coins to transact. Right. And that's the amazing thing. Um, and then if you look at globally, the great thing about stable coins is that, uh, again, it removes that volatility that you might have with like a Bitcoin, right? So if you're in another country where you don't want to use your local currency, and this is where when you talk about um, like outside of the US and Europe, where you'll really see stablecoin adoption is if you're in any country that doesn't have a great currency, stablecoins are such an amazing option for you uh, that you can just convert your money to stablecoins and now you have this currency that you can use globally, instantly, cheaply, and you don't have the government risk of your local government. That's incredible. Um, right, they cross border and everything. You say, okay, sometimes you sell something that is 150 die. Okay, that's 150 die. There's no exchange rates. There's nothing. That's the same thing for me or a person in India. And this was one of the arguments that people made um, why the U.S. may actually favor crypto in the long run because actually it, it increases dollar dominance because all these stable coins are pegged to the dollar. Um, and so if they're pegged to the dollar and then all of a sudden globally stable coins start becoming the the go-to currency, then that actually helps the dollar too. So that's one argument. But yeah, I think stable coins are gonna be a great on-ramp for a lot of people into crypto, for average Joes, for average companies, uh, and people who aren't necessarily looking for the risk of uh, speculating on certain assets going up and down. They just wanna take advantage of the uh, crypto ecosystem and and basically have the transfers have the yields all these things without having to invest in something like bitcoin or ethereum where okay yeah you can invest in it and transact with it but you have the risk that like we just saw last week where it drops 40 percent value in a day um so yeah i think stable coins are are great so let me let me move 
forward to um, Ethereum that we're talking about the changes that are coming over the le the rest of the year, I guess, <clears throat> that are going to have significant um, repercussions in both the speed of the transaction, the volume of transactions, and the gas fees, obviously. So let's let's get into that a little bit. Um, the first one is coming up, I think next month, right? Is that tomorrow? Oh, tomorrow. Arbitrum is that what you're talking about? Tomorrow is. Uh, the 28th. Yeah, May 28th, yeah. Arbitrum launches tomorrow. So by the time people listen to this, Arbitrum will be live. Arbitrum okay. is the first L true kind of L2 solution for Ethereum. Um, it's an optimistic roll-up. If you want to know about the what that means, listen to our podcast last week. We went into the uh, ZK zero-knowledge roll-ups and optimistic roll-ups and kind of discussed all that. So go listen to last week's episode. Uh, but yeah, Arbitrum is launching tomorrow, which is the first L2 uh, solution for Ethereum, pure L2. There's Polygon is another one that's been doing well, but that's a side chain. It's not L2. So that means that it's its own blockchain and it uses Ethereum as a checkpoint, but mm -hmm. it doesn't, but it's its own blockchain. Arbitrum is actually an L2. So it's built directly on top of Ethereum. Uh, so that's launching tomorrow. They already, it looks like, are going to be launching on Uniswap or Uniswap is going to integrate Arbitrum, which is going to be amazing. So what is the direct effect? of that is it the fees immediately nothing i mean it's going to take time for this to grow right. um, and they're still doing testing and all that uh, people don't just jump onto something without you know understanding it but um in the longer term uh basically 100 times cheaper gas fees that's what it means mm -hmm. so if you're paying you know whatever uh 50 gas fees right now for something you're gonna pay 50 cents right Big difference. Which is, which is, uh, that's the, the bigger effect of that. I mean, you pay 50 bucks in gas fees for a transaction that is in the six, seven figures, a major transaction. It's like, okay, well, it's not much. It's 0.1% or 1% or whatever. But when you're trying to make a small investments, and that's what we're talking about, the average person saying, okay, well, I'm going to put instead of 500 bucks a month into this savings account that is giving me nothing, just putting money for emergency fund or whatever. Now I'm going to put the $500 into a stable coin, like a die or something, and then, uh, let it grow basically at 10 percent or whatever um, but the problem is that when you gas fees which actually are much higher now and you're paying let's say 25 dollars or 35 dollars just to make that transaction to move the money there then you say wow i'm already paying like three three and a half percent or or even more you know just to move the money that means that i need to make the first four percent that i make in my savings is just going to be to to offset the the gas fees and then the rest is going to be my savings so when you decrease the gas fees for the smaller amounts of transactions, you know, like the transactions that are more for the average person, then um, you will be able to um, to increase the frequency of those transactions and help people do it. Is that basically what the effect will be? Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you have cheaper transaction fees and faster, then it opens up the ecosystem to do a lot more. I mean, right. even things like NFTs, for example, if you want to mint an NFT, you have to pay gas fees. And if you're an artist and say you want to upload 10 pieces of art uh, and you have a $50 gas fee times 10, now you just paid $500 to mint your pieces of art. And obviously, if you're a starving artist, uh, that's a lot of money, you know, and uh, or even, you know, like you said, like if you want to move, you know, we're talking about for the masses, if the average person wants to put a thousand bucks uh into some uh whatever like even if you want to put a thousand bucks into ave or something 
you know, you could pay $50 fees on that, $60 fees on that. That's five, six percent. You know, that's a huge percentage. Right. So, so basically when this is implemented, it'll be completely transparent for the user. It's just something that they will, um, like you said, it's not going to be right away, but they will see that the gas fees are much lower because it's built strictly or directly on top of the uh, Ethereum uh, protocol. So they will see the gas fees decreasing just because this has happened. There's nothing that they need to do with their wallets or anything to update. No, no, because you can choose to use. So you don't have to use Arbitrum, right? So these L2 solutions, it's just mm -hmm. options. So like, for example, if in the future, like we've discussed, uh, you know, a house title being an NFT and you're selling your house. Well, in that case, I would want to do it on the main Ethereum blockchain. I would mm -hmm. not want to do it on Arbitrum, right? Because if I'm doing a $400,000 transaction, a $50 fee is not a big deal to me, right? In fact, I mean, people pay a ton of fees on homes, way, way, way more than that. Um, so in that case, because I want to make sure there's no fuck ups with my house title or selling a car or something like that, it's fine. But yes, if you're, this is the famous, like the big thing that everybody always quips about, um, crypto is like, oh yeah, but for everyday things, buying a coffee, whatever, mm -hmm. you can't do it. Now you can. Right. That's the whole point. This is what allows the everyday transactions to be possible. Okay. All right. So the second major update that is coming up for Ethereum is the, uh, that's in November, right? Or something. Which one? ETH 2.0 or? No. The, uh, well, ETH, when is ETH 2.0 coming out? Supposedly November. Okay. Hopefully. Okay. Yeah. And what is that? Is there anything coming up before then? Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, Arbitrum is just one L2 solution. There's many L2 solutions that are coming out. Arbitrum is just the first that's launching, but there's going to be a bunch that are competing with each other. Um, which is good. You want them to compete and mm -hmm. see who's the best. Um, and then you have uh, the famous EIP-1559, oh, yeah. um, which that is what's going to make Ethereum deflationary and start burning Ethereum. Um, and then ETH 2.0 is when you get the huge change, which is when it switches from proof of work to proof of stake. And then you have sharding uh, and all these things. We've discussed this before, but that's... That's the huge jump. That one, and again, that's not going to be instant. Like, it's not like all of a sudden everybody's just going to jump ship to from 1.0 to 2.0. It's going to take some time, but uh, yeah, that'll be the major, major, major change. Is it coming in November? Is ETH 2.0? But yeah, I mean, all these things, all all these things lead to uh, the, the to solving the scale problems that Ethereum has, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like one of the things that you see a lot is you have like Polkadot or, um, like Cardano or any of these quote unquote Ethereum killers or, or Dfinity is another one. I think they're called internet computer now, whatever, but you have all these protocols that are trying to compete with Ethereum. Um, and they're like, Oh, look at how much more efficient and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but the, 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 and actually somebody tweeted this the other day and I retweeted it. They said, it's not just about the technology, it's about the network. And the thing that people don't understand is that, uh, first of all, you think that Ethereum, the developers don't know about all these other solutions that are potentially possible. Uh, of course they do. But second of all, none of these other networks have the network that Ethereum has, okay? And network effects are very, very real. 
Uh, if just look at the history of the internet, those who can harness the power of network effects always win in the end. It's Metcalf's law. And so Ethereum already is the largest network as far as uh, DeFi goes. And the idea that these other networks are going to come in and beat them because they have slightly better tech. First of all, if Ethereum was operating at the scale that some of these are, which is 100th or 1,000th the amount of transactions, Ethereum would have no problems either. It, the problem is when you try to scale, uh, that's where you run into all these issues, and that's what all these solutions are coming from. But on top of that, it's like Ethereum has the most developers, has the most capital going into it. Besides, I mean, Bitcoin has the largest market cap, but besides Bitcoin, Ethereum is the second largest. And you have all these DeFi protocols built on top of it. You have all these L2 uh, people working on top of it. You have all these developers working. And then if you look at future developers, future capital that wants to come in, where's that, where are those developers going to want to work? Where's that capital going to want to go to? Is it going to want to go to this thriving ecosystem that already has tons of projects and is tons of demand and is growing super quickly? Or are they going to go to some speculative other project that may or may not work? Maybe they have some slightly different solution that's slightly better technically, uh, but has no users. No, like Cardano has been, Cardano hasn't even launched smart contracts and they've been around for like five years, okay? So a lot of these protocols are just dragging their feet. Dfinity has been around for like four years as well. Nobody has reached the traction that Ethereum has. And it's like the same way that Facebook went from a few million users on college campuses to a billion users in like just a few years. The same is happening with Ethereum. And network effects are, are the name of the game on the internet. And so I just think Ethereum is going to be the one. And if you want to, uh, I would not try to compete with Ethereum. If you want to do what Polygon did, which is a side chain, which is it's your own blockchain, mm -hmm. but it checkpoints with Ethereum. I think that's great. And you can look at Polygon. It's, it's, the, it's the best side chain solution out of all these competitors that have come out. They're the ones who have been the most successful, the most transaction volume. The price of the coin itself has gone up a ton because it has usage, because basically they use a side chain. They have way fewer, way smaller fees. So all the people who want to do yield farming are now going on Polygon because it's a great solution, but it's built with Ethereum. And that's, and that's also the reason why if you want to get into some kind of crypto investment on the token side, you want to go with, uh, and you're not looking into um, stablecoin like we said before, um, then you want to go into tokens that are more reputable and have a good foundation behind them like Ether. You know, Ether is not, I mean, uh, obviously Ether is the, is the token and Ethereum is the, is the protocol, the network, but you want a token that is backed by a solid network. There's a lot of different tokens out there. There's thousands probably now. Uh, but if you're interested in getting into this, you can look into which one of the ones with the highest volume, the highest, um, yeah, volume, basically the highest consumption. And then those are the ones you want to get into instead of the ones that are like very speculative that you don't even know what kind of backup foundation they have behind them. So, um, Again, I mean, uh, there's some people that say I only invest in uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and that's it. I don't care about anything else. And some other people say, like, yeah, well, there's others that are even. I invest in projects built on and around Ethereum, but when I look at things that are totally separate, the only one that's interesting to me is Solana. 
Solana's interesting. Uh, but even then, I think that they have a tough road ahead in them if they really want to compete with Ethereum. But like, yeah, Polkadot and Cardano and all these, I don't think right, they're going to make exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, you could do it like a, like say, okay, well, if if this scene progresses, I'm going to make significant money. It's a lot of risk. But if you don't, it's okay. Yeah, and I'm not talking it. about short-term price action, right? I, I'm not saying that like Cardano or Polkadot or any of these protocols that their their tokens couldn't. Uh, you know, 10x in value or something, because mm -hmm. that's just speculation. But I'm talking 10 years from now, will they still exist? My money is, says no. Right, right. So so uh, you see a lot of advice saying, don't even, you don't know how to do the research. It's done for you. Just, you want to get into some crypto investment, buy a fraction of Bitcoin or Ether or whatever is already out there that are the solid tokens that you can buy. Or if you want to get into some kind of DeFi investment option, just uh, use any stable coin. I mean, there's a USDC is issued by Coinbase, which is a public company now. Let's or put it this way. There's a reason why in the social media world, despite so, so, so many attempts, basically, I mean, how many successful competitors to Facebook are there? Yeah. None. I mean, there was Instagram and they bought them, but it's right. like... Right, I was going to say, either they copy their, their uh, features and it's or like, they buy them out. So It's like, how many social startups have there been and how many major social media networks are there that actually succeeded? You basically have, on the major, major level, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest... Now TikTok, but it's a totally different thing. But that's it, right? Right. And uh, how many social startups have there been? It's fucking hard to compete with the network effects. And that's the same thing that's going to happen with Ethereum. I'm not saying that there won't be competitors. But you know what? If Ethereum is uh, Facebook in 2007, I'll make that bet. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the bet on Facebook. You can go bet on... Uh, you know, whatever. Speaking of social startups, I mean, Clubhouse, that was very, very yeah, uh, that's in fashion example. like uh, months ago during the pandemic and all that stuff. Now it's like, I know it lost, it lost. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's very hard to build, uh, to build new, uh, it, to compete with network effects. Yeah. It's very, very, very hard. So, so and Clubhouse is an example of one who even, grew really fast and actually got millions of users really quickly. Right. And even now they're kind of dropping yeah, off. Yeah, they, they, they have that kind of exclusivity where they say, oh, you can only be here by invitation and they, each person has two or three invites or whatever. And then after that, it's like nobody goes to Clubhouse anymore. It's like all these rooms where you can have this chat, all these um, conversations. It's like an audio social media platform. And then I, I don't hear much about it anymore. To be honest, I signed up. You actually invited me. And... Uh, I joined a couple of groups. I think I've been in Clubhouse. Yeah, I literally. I've been like three, four times in the last uh, since I started. Three, four. For the first few weeks, I used it because uh, you know Elon was on there, Zuckerberg was on there, a few big names, Rogan went on there. Yeah. But then those guys disappeared. They don't really yeah. give a shit. Yeah. And uh, just the regular rooms. Right. First yeah. of all, Bunch half of, of them are like charlatan scammers. I don't know if you've been on there, but half of them are like get rich in real estate, whatever shit. Oh, really? Yes. 
And uh, I don't know, it just wasn't that enticing to me. You know, I actually use Twitter spaces more than I use Clubhouse. Because yeah. I'll be on Twitter spaces and it'll be people who I follow on Twitter and then they'll have a room. And uh, that's more interesting to me than Clubhouse. And uh, the, the other problem with Clubhouse is that everything is live and there's no recordings. Right, yeah, um, it's not on demand. So, so either you will actually interrupt your day to participate in some kind of room chat or something and raise your hand and make your opinion or whatever, or you basically miss it. And there's no polish. Yeah. So, you know, you listen to a podcast, you know, podcasts are typically edited. They have sometimes, it depends on the podcast you listen to, an outline, or uh, I can skip ahead. I can listen on faster speed. I could, you can't do any of that with Clubhouse. Right. Because it's just live people You know talk. how many people, like, well, not many, but I mean, I have friends that are on Clubhouse just to gain reputation, and they have this they enter this chat room and then literally put their phone in their pocket. So they're not even active. They just basically stay in there just because apparently that gives you reputation as far as participating in different rooms. So anyways, that's just an example. But uh, let me just wrap it up with um, one quick question for you. Like if we're talking about the um, people trying to get initiated with crypto and getting some basic knowledge, what kind of source do you think would be best? I mean, I know there's a number of podcasts out there, including maybe us, that uh, every now and then we discuss crypto, there are several ones that are dedicated to crypto that are very good, but uh, as far as internet sources that they can start reading news and reading basics and fundamentals and things like that, what kind of websites or, or sources do you go to to uh, to get news and to get information? Um, I mean, I mostly just learn through Twitter, honestly. That's how I kind of learn, just following DeFi people on Twitter. Um, if you're looking for like a crypto 101 um, I've seen stuff out there that people have made. Uh, I, I don't look at it cause I'm, I don't need to read that. I'm more advanced now, but, um, uh, actually, you know, now that you say that, I mean, I actually started watching this, uh, ledger is the, the, the hardware wallet that, um, you can use. And we got into the difference between, um, hardware or software wallets and things like that. But anyways, you go to ledger which is the, uh, the uh, company that sells this type of uh, hardware wallet, they have a YouTube series that is very good as far as explaining what... Yeah, could, uh, there, there's lots of DeFi basics out there. Right. Um, uh, even Coinbase, Coindesk, all these other websites, they have um, a lot of Crypto 101 that they go from the basics, explaining what is basically a blockchain to begin with. Um, which is different than the internet, and then what is basically a software wallet versus a hardware wallet, uh, what is a decentralized exchange or DEX, um, DAOs, you know, things like that. So you can, and then what the tokens are, and what is the difference between stable coins and, and any other kind of coin or token. So there's different ones that you can learn, but I definitely recommend that people uh, read um, as much as they can before. Just Also, to, I would just say YouTube. Yeah, YouTube has a lot of tutorials. There's yeah. actually a lot of people on YouTube that I follow that like, even with like more complicated things, like when there's a new yield farm that pops up, mm -hmm. I'll just, there's YouTubers that I follow that they'll do tutorials on like, okay, here's how you use this yield farm or whatever. So yeah, I mean, just Google and YouTube, you know, the internet is a beautiful place because you can learn anything and there's tons of free yeah. information. So I would just say Google and YouTube and uh uh, you know, Bankless is a good podcast. Yes, um, we do listen to that one. They're good. Um, Kevin Rose has Modern Finance as his podcast. It's mm -hmm. pretty good. It's He has a good mixture of advanced and basic stuff. Uh -huh. um, our podcast, I would say. Um, but yeah, it, and a lot of it is just 
diving in and learning. Uh, uh, the, the sad thing is that you have to, it's, it's like asking like, what's the best way to learn to ride a bike? And it's like, yeah, you can watch videos and you can study the way pedals move and all that. But you know, some, at some point you just got to get on the fucking bike and ride right, it. Right. But so, the sad thing is that, you know, what we say here all the time that this is on, this is actually a proper disclaimer. This is not financial advice or anything like that. We're just basically expressing our opinion, but uh, we're definitely no financial professionals. We're just basically investing hey, like anybody speak else. Speak for yourself. I am a uh, yeah. sophisticated um, investor. But, but, the same, but the sad thing is that when you go to your professional financial advisor and you ask him about crypto, you see them rolling their eyes like, oh, wow, this, uh, like they, they're not, maybe they're doing it individually themselves, but as, as, a, as a company policy, they're not offering crypto products or crypto investments. And they, even the major financial institutions like the JP Morgan or the, the private client division and all that, that is for wealthier individuals, they only offer it to the top of the line with also disclaimers. Yeah, I know, but the thing is you don't need them. And, and they need to start educating their clients saying, hey, you, you may want to invest in this. It's as risky as everything else, but. But you don't need them. Right. Well, you don't, but I'm saying people that want to get information from the financial advisor, you call, you have something going on, you can ask your financial advisor, hey, what about crypto? Should I be investing in this? And they're going to say, oh, no, no, you want to stay away from that and all that stuff. Majority of them, even though maybe some of them personally are investing, but just as a company, they cannot offer it, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously they have liability and stuff, so they can't recommend, certainly... I mean, they might have a conversation with you about it, but like, yeah, I mean, if you start asking them and about- And it's true that it's extremely volatile just because the volume is not there now. So so uh, these fluctuations that we see where it goes, it could go down like 50% in just two, three days. It will happen. But if you're a long-term investor, you don't care. It's like your, the value of your house goes to 50% within the, uh, the recession and you say, well, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not gonna sell the house. So it's my house and whether they say it's worth 200,000 or 500,000, it makes no difference right now because it's still my house. So unless you put a price tag every time you enter through the front door to see it and remind you, it doesn't matter to you, it's worth what it's worth, you know? So anyways, again, this is no financial advice or anything. It's just, it's just our opinion. But um, I, 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 I do see, just because I get the feedback, a lot of people that are like, it's almost like fear of missing out. But there are also people that are like fear of getting in, you know, type thing. So it's a little bit of a, uh, misinformation and then uh, too complicated to kind of get into and really uh, the baseline the basics are not so complicated it's when you get into trying to become an expert like you said trying to understand how the internet works well you know how to understand just understand how to get into the website and then how to do transactions how to do banking online um, investments and things like that so and again there's there's tons of custodians that will do it for you if you're willing to pay an extra fee for somebody to manage your money just like everything else so there's nothing uh, nothing wrong with that you know so anything else, uh, David, I want to wrap it up before uh, we hit the uh, hour mark here. Nope, I think we're good for now. All right, so we, uh, uh, let's wrap it up. Um, let's hope that the Suns, going back to sports, um, do well tonight. And um, we're actually facing uh, Memorial Day weekend, so everybody is late this year. It's kind of like the last weekend if, yeah, it's like the end of the month, actually, too. So usually it's more like mid like the uh, 20 something on his Memorial Day, but this year is actually the very last day of the month, the 31st of May. I don't think, I don't remember ever being so late. So anyways, it's always the last Monday of the month. So it's uh, May 31st, Memorial Day. Everybody enjoy their weekend. Whatever you do, stay safe, uh, have fun, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.